0: You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you happen to be doing, you are doing very, very well. You're about to hear a conversation between two of the members of the band Fragile Animals, and in my view, they are one of the very best bands the Sunshine Coast has to offer. Let's hear what Victoria and Daniel have to say. Here we go. I appreciate having a Sunshine Coast band on. Before we start talking about the wonderful music you're creating, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so we've been together for about 12 months, a little bit over 12 months. Um, Dan and I knew each other for a little while before that, um, and so he sort of came to me with um, some material that he'd written, um, and then just around the time we were just starting to get the first couple of songs together, um, we met Kyle, um, and then, yeah, it's all kind of gone from there. He he joined the band, and it's been a been a pretty quick 12 months for us.
0: Mm. Awesome. Um, now the EP "Light That Fades." Over to you. Tell us all about it.
1: <laughs> sure. Um, so it's got five tracks. Um, yeah. Title track is "Light That Fades." Um, I guess. I guess it's a bit of a mixture of um, of sounds. It's sort of not exactly just one thing over and over. Yeah. Um, the ideas initially start with Dan, so I might hand it over to him for a, a bit of a, a bit of a chat.
2: Um, I guess it's. A really just a musical snapshot of where I was you know a few years prior to releasing that like I've got hundreds of demos that just float around and they just sit on my computer and they were the five that kind of jumped out and stayed in our kind of live set like we just yeah. kept rehearsing them and we've had many songs just pass through the set and it's like you know after a while, you just kind of weed out the ones that you don't really like and the ones that sort of stuck are the ones that are on the EP. So, apart from that, that's all I can really say about it.
0: <laughs> so, is there a... Uh... Gosh, talking to the microphone again. Gosh. Um, is there a theme or a concept running through the EP?
1: Um, I suppose maybe subconsciously there is. Um, I think from a lyrical standpoint... um. I guess, as Dan was talking about, sort of being a snapshot, it kind of is in the sense that um, maybe it was sort of me looking at sort of where I was at, both geographically and sort of, I guess, in life, Um, and it goes a little bit from there. and um, So I guess there is a bit of that theme sort of running through it lyrically, and I suppose from a musical standpoint, um, I'm not sure how much of it sort of comes through, but you can probably see little hints of the music that we were all sort of listening to at the time and being influenced by at the time. And, and that is kind of, an, I guess, a theme that comes through a little bit. Um, but I guess because it was written over quite a short period of, of time, mm-hmm. um, hopefully, you know, in time to come, it will sort of seem like it captures a, a time period for us. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the second EP does vary a little bit just because it's obviously going to be written um, in, a, in a different segment of our our time together mm-hmm.
0: all right um, any challenges with the recording tell us actually about how did you record it did you do it at home and then take it to somebody who was going to produce it for you and get you know get the best sounds out of it through a, you know a different door or how did you guys do it
1: yeah um so when we sort of had a few songs together that we were we were pretty happy with um in fact actually before before we even had a bunch of songs we knew that we wanted to work with Elliot Heinrich um, We'd heard um, the bands that he'd been working with previously and and Dan and I think and Kyle actually both already kind of knew him a little bit. Um, And I think we just had always really admired the sound that he got um, and knew we kind of wanted to work with him. So when we had the first single sort of ready to go, we went in and did sort of kind of a bit of a trial recording just to see um, see how we went working with Kyle and see how we went working with Elliot at, at Heliport. So um, that all went quite well for the first track. Um, and then we decided to go away and, and write the rest so that we could, we could go back in and record the EP. So um, challenges for recording, I think probably the biggest challenge was actually coordinating it with the fact that we were all working. I know Dan was doing a lot of his guitar takes at, at sort of nearly midnight after having worked a 10, 12 hour day. So, um, definitely that sort of changing hats kind of vibe being at work in the day and recording at night. Hopefully next time around, we're going to get it in a bit of a block and have like a week off work and go in and, and get it all done in, in one section. But, um, that's definitely my memories me and me and Cole chilling yeah. outside and you you slaving away on guitar take after guitar take <laughs>
2: uh, i guess like a few technical challenges were um i took all my live gear in there but um it just wouldn't stop humming so all my pedals were humming and everything was just like making weird weird sounds and we just couldn't isolate what we were doing so in the end we just went one pedal at a time off we had to use uh a, like a extension lead, and it had to be the same one from the same PowerPoint in the building to one power pack. Yeah, yeah, to to like, and I think most of it was done through like an uh, Strymon El Capistan uh, delay. Like, you know, usually I've got like different pedals, you know, but that one was the one that we kept going to because it made the least noise. <laughs> so that was a pretty big challenge. And apart from that, it was, um, really just like getting the tones through guitars. Like there was, um, like I bring a bunch of guitars in. Kyle also has a pretty extensive collection. So like he was bringing in like, you know, Gretches and like Jazz Masters and Tellies. And we we're just trying to find which tones work the best for each song and whereas at home I just like I've just got an 11 rack so I just plug straight into that AC30 simulator everything's done on that then then we send the we do pre-production like that so like I we do it at home Kyle has like a little rig at home he drums it to a click then um we send it to Elliot and he's just sort of like wades through it and sees you know where the hooks can be strengthened and like stuff like that and that's how pre-production's done so yeah, so from there, yeah, we go into the studio. Elliot has it pretty mapped out in his head what he wants to record and, you know, how long the song should we go for and, like, what we should cut and what we should, you know, extend and all that. So it's pretty seamless, like, after a few months of just back and forward through email. Mm-hmm. So it was just really, yeah, getting it, getting good takes onto onto the Pro Tools and stuff like that. <laughs>
1: He says that, but him and Kyle were pretty much bass and drum, one take done. Yeah. <laughs> it was me in there, take yeah. after take, doing vocals, because um, it's kind of the first time I'd done anything yeah. like that. I've um, not been the singer in, in other bands or anything like that. So, um, But, yeah, Elliot was great with all that as well. He was kind of like, this is how you should do it and this is how you sound better doing it and stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so um, they were my vocal difficulties, but we got there in the end.
0: Good on you. Yeah. Yeah. The... Infamous promotional trail, interstate tours, that sort of thing. What's coming up?
1: Um, So we actually just played our first interstate shows. Um, So, yeah, yeah. No, we've been lucky enough to to be playing locally um, for most of the last 12 months. Um, We sort of started playing live before we actually sort of planned to, um, just because a few things popped up. And so we've kind of been doing Sunshine Coast and Brisbane a little bit over that um, time period. But last week? We were in Sydney? Yeah. yeah last, last, time flies. Um, yeah, last week. Yeah, so, yeah, this time last <laughs> week we, we were playing in Sydney um, and we were lucky enough to play Oxford Art Factory. Um, so somewhere that we've gone to see other bands and, and always kind of liked. So that was a bit of a buzz going there. Um, and the, the following night we were in Melbourne. Um, so... We had great supports on the tour with us as well, which was really nice. Yeah. Bands that we were keen to see live and sort of gave us an opportunity to catch them. So um, that's been really, really great. And then um, obviously we've had a little bit of this kind of, kind of stuff as well happening. So, um, yeah, it's been a, been a busy month for us actually. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really good fun. We like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so on the EP, I'm hearing a bit of Kim Gordon fronted Sonic Youth, a bit of Weezer. Bit of Powderfinger, and a band from Sydney from the early 2000s, Waikiki, a band that I liked a lot, actually, that became The Howling Bells. But describe your influences on the EP.
1: Um, I think it's a bit hard, because I think we obviously have a bunch of influences that overlap, mm-hmm. and then we have a bunch that are kind of separate. Um, and I'm not too sure that you hear an awful lot of any one thing in particular, but um, for example, my favourite band's Radiohead. Kyle, not so keen on Radiohead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle, does Kyle like doesn't really like it. them. Um, he's like a massive Ryan Adams fan, but I'm not too sure you hear either of those bands, um, particularly in what we do. Um, I guess at the time that the tracks for the EP were being written, you were kind of listening to a lot of um, Slow Dive. And... Slow Dive.
2: Uh, yeah, My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. Um, just uh, got really into the gays thing and um, things like The Smiths came up a lot, um, but then I was also listening to things like Phoenix, yeah. and like really su- stuff yeah. with like massive uh, synth bass and like production like that, and also just things like um, just Tame Impala came up a fair bit. Like just like I really got into Currents. So I didn't really get into Tame Impala up until that album. And I, mm. and that's probably still the only Tame Impala album that I listened to. Like the other two are really good, but that one production wise just really stuck out for me. Um, I was listening to things like the National, but I was also I also dug through and listened to what I used to listen to, which is like like Pantera and Jajira. Like they pop up <laughs> and just you know just a musical pot that ends up you know in there somehow. Or, somewhere <laughs> i feel
1: like i feel like it's maybe one of those things where like you know yeah. like with paint and colors if you mix enough things together it just kind of goes to like none of them yeah, exactly. i feel yeah. like maybe we kind of yeah, did that, that a little
2: weird, bit weird greeny
1: um, color. it's like that weird brown green that no one <laughs> <Yeah>. likes <laughs>
2: Fine
1: um it's yeah because i mean obviously you know i was listening to a bunch of that stuff as well but um I don't know, like I was listening to Wolf Alice and DMAs and Catfish. Catfish Um, So, like, yeah, it's sort of weird. Um, But but it's always interesting to hear what other people
2: are hearing in it
1: because, like, everyone obviously picks out the things that are familiar to them based on their sort of... Music taste and everything like that, so it's it's, so it's awesome. always interesting to hear what people hear. Because you
2: definitely <laughs> listen to all the bands that you've yeah, to. yeah yeah so no, It's like, that's it's cool. I mean, like in the past, you may have listened to it and not really th- recently, but it just popped back up, especially in the Powder Fingers and stuff like that. Like we'll, mm-hmm. you know, I was a massive Powder Finger fan, but I haven't, I can't say I've listened to them in the past, yeah, six months. But you know, as soon as it's on, it's like they just wrote amazing albums Mm. and you know they'll always be there and we've just been influenced a lot by the local scene like there's so many great local bands Mm -hmm. like especially in brisbane stuff like that we you know like bands that we play with and just trying to think of like who we saw we saw like these new south wales come up with chakra Fendi at the Nambour basement Mm -hmm. and they just like they were amazing as well and that sort of like seeps in Mm -hmm. not so much in the music but you know, just influences how you see a live show and stuff like that. They just really went for it.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that's getting a bit away from what you you initially started us on. But I think that, yeah, the influences um, thing, obviously there's the musical side of it, but live, like I'm a pretty awkward, shy person in general. Um, but, yeah, like a few, we were talking about sort of like local bands. Like we, if we saw Wax when they played at the, oh, yeah. the I think it's the Curry Street, crawl it's called the the local kind of yeah, little yeah yeah, yeah yeah um and just the way that they sort of came out on stage and were just 100 them regardless of the surroundings or what the sort of very really varied crowd might react to them like it was just yeah it was a big kind of thing for me to go like oh yeah that's that's really cool like these guys are just themselves and um yeah, and it was the same with these New South yeah. Wales, you know, really tiny venue um, locally, but they brought their whole massive show, like, you know, strobes and smoke yeah. machines and, you know, could, nipple yeah. tape and all. Um, and it was just really, really cool to see. So I think, that, I think that, yeah, you always get influenced by live stuff as well, and it sort of makes you want to be a bit more strong in what you're doing yourself.
0: So mentioned Nambour. Let's talk about the Sunshine Coast in general. Is there an identifiable part of the band's sound that you think is due to the fact that you are a Sunshine Coast based band? Um,
1: I guess it's not something we've we've really thought ourselves, but I guess inevitably you do get influenced by by the local scene. I think um, I think we're really lucky in that for such a, a small kind of area or, or a small population, um, it does have quite a strong music scene. Um, so I think in that sense, it's really good, you know there's music around sort of everywhere. So I guess that's sort of something that helps keep you in the scene and keeps you um, doing that kind of musical thing. And then obviously being so close to, to Brisbane, which is a really strong scene as well, um that adds sort of even more variation to to what's out there as far as different genres and and what gigs are available to go see and um and things like that and I think it's been really good for us to sort of have both the local scene um which you know people are really keen to get out there and support and then also that Brisbane scene right next door where you know you've got got that many more avenues and that many more venues at at your feet it's it's been really good we've we've been really lucky I think in the last 12 months to play as much as we have Um,
2: I was just going to add that, um, I guess like location wise, just being in Australia, like, you know, it's very sparse where we live. So like, Mm -hmm. I guess like that influences like things like, you know, I guess slower songs and like more spacious delays and stuff like that. Like just seeing like the vast sort of landscapes and stuff like that makes you want to like kind of match what you're seeing. So like, you know, using like the ambient reverbs and stuff like that getting as much space into the music Mm. as possible like whereas like you know if you live into a city a lot of city bands are busy like the life that you live like you know everything's kind of rushing around whereas here you can sort of like take a step back and I feel like you know that sort of like almost like lonely feel Mm -hmm. ends up in the music like you know with things like home like everyone that listened to my audio demos always said like they sound lonely like you're on your own kind of thing and I guess that's a location thing, you know what I mean. Like if you lived in the city, I don't think it'd feel as much like that mm. for me personally.
1: So it's kind of like sitting on the beach in the rain on your own. That's that's our music summed up. <laughs> <laughs> <Kind of>. <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, just on that point about music reflecting the landscape, I don't think you could pick a better band than the Drones. Yeah, for the Australian yeah. landscape, and I think they're from Queensland, aren't they? I know they relocated to Melbourne years ago, yeah. but I think they're they're a Queensland band. So whenever I think of the vast Australian landscape, particularly as soon you know you, you go you know hundred kilometres that way and you start hitting red dirt yeah. mm. around Toowoomba and in um, you know the Darling Downs and the like, it just the drones. I always put the drones on. Yeah. It's just what I do. It just seems to suit it. Yeah. Do you guys feel pressure to relocate to Brisbane or even interstate?
1: I think it's not something that's really cropped up so far. Obviously, we're we're sort of early days-ish um, for our career, and I think I think it will just depend on how things play out. Like, obviously, um, you know, places like Melbourne are regarded to have a, a really, really strong scene, and and sort of when we were down there um, for our show, we stayed an extra night in Melbourne, and you know, we went out the next night and were, we're checked Bar. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I think we
1: were right next to Cherry Bar actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's definitely appealing, you know, having that that many bands and that many venues and everything like that, but um I think much like anything else there's sort of pros and cons to to all of those things and and obviously with having that many more bands there's that much more competition for those yeah. s- slots at venues and things like that, but I think um I think the one thing that would be would be quite good about relocating would be the fact that um you know we've we've obviously you know got links to a lot of the the cool bands that we are mates with around here and things like that and and to be able to sort of go off and hang out with like when we you know with our supports and things that we had on on the tour it's like you make new friends with really awesome bands that you love going and seeing at the weekend and stuff as well, so to be able to increase that pool of mates bands that we love and can go yeah. check out on weekends that would be cool. Um, from, I guess, a business standpoint, I guess we just sort of have to wait and see, but yeah. so far things have been going well with us based right here. Um, it seems to work pretty well as, yeah. as far as getting the time to write and we've got, you know, the people that we like to record with and things like that. So no immediate plans to, to relocate, but it does seem to be yeah. something that happens a fair bit. So there's a bit of a hint that maybe, Maybe down the track there's a logical reason to do it, but for right now things are working for us.
0: Tell me about what kind of success you guys are trying to obtain or to, uh, you, you aspire to obtain. You know, is it the KISS-style rock and roll thing or is it just, you know, legitimate indie critical success?
1: Well, world domination would be would be my answer, um, which I think KISS have pretty much nailed, so yeah. sure. Um
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> probably, probably not so much. I mean, to be honest, I think, um, especially coming off of a, a hard day of work for the both of us, mm-hmm. it would be really nice to be able to um, yes. not not work day jobs to, yes. to to be having music as the only thing we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but surely that's that is a pretty difficult thing to achieve, um, especially I guess in the current sort of music industry climate and things like that. Um, but I guess it would just be a case of. Um, I guess a few landmark kind of things that we'd like to do, like um, just certain places throughout the world yeah. we'd like to play, even if it is to, you know, pretty small rooms to, to be able to do that, um, to, to have like a European tour at some point. Um, like I said, even yeah, if it's to, to relatively small rooms, that that would be incredible. Um, like I mentioned earlier that I'm really into like Wolf Alice and DMAs and stuff like that and watching DMAs tour schedule, you know, this little sort of unknown known band from Australia that's been back and forth to the UK about nine times this year or something. Um, that's pretty cool. So I think touring we really quite yeah. like the idea of and we'd like to do more of that and obviously being able to support um, bands that you're really into and, and things like that, that's kind of the level that I'm I'm thinking. What do you think, Dan?
2: Uh, I guess, um, you know, my face on everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, um, yeah, like, yeah, playing like to – to anyone that would want to hear us, you know, for a start. But yeah, like, you know, mid-sized rooms all around the world would be great, you know what I mean? Like, Tivoli around the world, you know, that would be like, I've made it kind of thing. Like, you'd feel like that you had enough fans to kind of sustain what you wanted to do without being like, you know, paparazzi in your face Mm -hmm. 24-7. Like, I feel like that cracks a lot of musicians, you know, well, I guess it doesn't really happen to rock musicians as much anymore. Like, I think Liam Gallagher's trying to get that attention back by being on Twitter. <laughs> like, he wants that paparazzi back in his face, but I don't think I could do that, you know, for years on end. <laughs> mm. But, yeah, just, like, doing it enough to, like, not, you know, do, like, manual labor anymore would be nice. <laughs>
0: Yeah, just um, just on the Oasis brothers there. What on earth are those two carrying on with? They seem to. Liam seems to have this. Is it? I've got Liam's a singer, right? Yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah. Liam seems to have this almost pathological dislike of your brother at the moment.
2: Yeah,
1: I think it's almost. I think it's almost a mutual dislike. I, I don't know how much of it's banter and how much of it's real.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, yeah. But
2: I reckon it's like marketing genius because like. Noel just played on, like, Jules Holland, like, a couple of weeks ago, and he had a scissors player.
1: I did see that. I did wonder about the scissors but Yeah, there was, like, a woman standing there just opening and closing scissors. She was just,
2: like, playing scissors, and she was wearing a cape. Then I'm pretty sure Liam, a couple, like, a week later, got someone to peel a potato on stage. See, I think they're just having a laugh. (laughs) I seriously think the
1: two of them are just sitting back there having a laugh. Um Yeah, no, I'm, we are such massive Oasis yeah, fans. We keep Oasis. hanging out for the inevitable Oasis reunion that never happens, but I think they're building it
2: all. Yeah. That's,
1: they're yeah. building it all. It's going to happen.
2: It's going to happen. <laughs> Please <they're> happen. It's going to earn so much money due to the marketing that they're doing every year after year. It's like Glastonbury comes up and it's like always a question mark at the top. It's like, yeah, Oasis getting back together Then they never do.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that at some point there's going to be the Arctic Monkeys Oasis Radiohead mm-hmm. uh, triple yeah. headliner show that we'll support
0: on. Uh,
2: yeah. 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 <laughs> to it's it. got to happen. <laughs> <with you, totally.
0: laughs> so just taking a, a 90 degree turn, if you will, now, um, my show is called Scars and Guitars, emphasis on the guitars bit. So can you guys talk about the gear that you use? And I'm particularly interested to hear about your take on bass playing.
1: Sure. Um, I actually have a pretty simple setup. Um, mostly because I suppose I'm not the most knowledgeable person when it comes to gear. I can I can feel Dan looking at me there like <laughs> God. Um no, actually I've I've sort of gone to Dan and Kyle for a bit of help for things like tone and things like that, because I'm really good at picking out people's tones that I really like. Not so great at creating it for myself, so I've kind of gone back and forth to them. But up until pretty recently, it was pretty much just a tuner on the floor, um, and then my bass um, into whatever backline was available, and just hoping for the best. Um, But um, I have invested. I now have a pedal in addition to my tuner. Um, It's a Boss Bass Driver, I believe.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep, Boss Bass Driver,
1: (laughs) all the way. Um, Yeah, no. So that that's pretty much my setup. Like I have like a little. Fender amp at home, um, that I practice with and and stuff like that. But I suppose at the moment, because most of what we're doing is, you know, supports for other bands and, and things like that, um, most of the time, live, we're using provided backline and, and whatever we can get our hands on, um, which I guess is where the pedal sort of came in. It's giving me that little yeah. bit of control over how I'm going to sound live. Um, and with the fact that there's only the three of us, um, obviously we're conscious of wanting to sort of sound as big as we can um, and, and sound as, as full as we can and cover as many frequencies as we can, um, which is. Sort of where Dan comes into it a little bit with his guitars and pedals and things you you actually have a board full of them yeah <laughs> um, unlike my two that I just stick on the floor <laughs> um, but yeah I, um, I might hand it over to you to have a bit of a chat about guitar things and while I think of more things to say about my bass
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, my setup just keeps changing like I'm um, you know one of those people that just digs around. Facebook and Gumtree for like things to buy pedal wise like I'm a pedal geek (laughs) like I love love my pedals like I've got like a like my guitars aren't even expensive guitars I've got like a Squire that I've changed the pickups in it's got P90s in it -hmm. Uh, a Jazzmaster and I've got like a Rickenbacker copy who I actually bought off the sound man at the Soul Bar (laughs) for $300 and then he went and played there yeah 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 he he like came up after the show he's like is that my guitar? it's like yeah it is it sounds really good and he, he offered to buy it back but i'm going to keep it but yeah my my pedal board's got like um it's like a kevin shields Luma fuzz fuzz verb and i just um got a proco rat and that's been a mainstay for a little while it sounds amazing then i recently got it's called an old blood noise procession reverb and it's also got like, three settings of modulation on it, which sounds great. Then, like, just a carbon copy delay. Then I've just got a massive, like, M13, Line 6 M13, which I basically use as one delay and one tuner. It's just overkill. I use, like, literally two buttons on a... I think there's, like, 16-button unit. (laughs) But, you know, it just gets me through... It's got a few things on it that does help me get through backline situations, you know, like a couple extra drives and you know, reverbs and stuff that sometimes you can't, you know, that you need. Like, I, I use a Vox uh, AC30 when I can. That's my amp. But, you know, when there's a Fender or something and, you know, I use, like, the Trem on the, on the Vox. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, that's got those sort of things covered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: My, my tuner has like an on and off function. <laughs> it's red. What color is it? Red <laughs> oh, it is red. <laughs> Do you know what? Someone, I don't even remember who it was now, somewhere we played, the sound guy came over and was like, that's a really attractive looking pedal. And I thought he was just really, really taking the piss because I have no gear. Um, but he's like, no, 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 seriously, it's no. quite quite a good looking one. And I was like, okay, yeah. What, is yeah. What, what sort of
2: tuner is it? Oh, God,
1: put me on the spot. What kind of tuner is it, Dan?
2: It's like a Korg one. By it's sore, yeah, it's like, like a... Say that.
0: It's it yeah, yes. It's, it's an attractive tuner, you know, a good-looking <laughs> tuner. everyone's you know.
1: going to rush out and buy one now. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. You're
0: going to get an endorsement from this discussion. Uh, I think it's like a
2: cold, pitch black, but it's red. And he said it. He liked the red, and it looks very ergonomic. It is. It is quite sleek. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, there's and, like
0: there's a there's a word you don't usually associate with musical instruments yeah. and associated gear, is it? You know.
1: I thought it was just restricted to like office chairs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go den Dan has all the pedals, but mine are the best looking and best best for you know ergonomics
2: yeah and your your setup doesn't break, whereas mine does frequently, <laughs> and i you have to dig through the patch
0: leads, so I've probably got too much. <laughs>
1: Yeah, keep keep it simple.
2: Yeah,
0: definitely. No, agreed. And yeah. look, just to put it in context, okay, about keeping it simple, I've been a musician for about 25 years or so, about 15 years of that, I've been doing it what I say seriously in terms of playing live and performing and recording and all the rest of it. But it's only just now that I'm feeling like as I'm getting my head around, you know, things of a technical nature as well and simplifying my setup, even though it's still quite complicated, the other issue that I've got, and I will ask your opinion about this, I can never seem to get my fretboard where I need it to be, especially being a bass player, it buzzes quite a bit. Mm. I think it might be the weather that we experience here in South East Queensland, but I've got one of the very best luthiers in the biz, Gary Albrecht, looking into it for me, and even he's having trouble with it too, and I play Music Man basses. Mm. So I'm very seriously considering going across and using uh, graphite instruments, but they're very clunky and they're very MIDI, and I play in like a soul, R&B and pop band. And I'm yeah. not sure that it's gonna give me the sound that I actually need. But tell me about your experiences on stage playing bass. Have you found that you've had a few technical issues like that as well?
1: Yeah, um I think I think inevitably those sorts of things do crop up. Um I think with that kind of fret buzz kind of issue, um I could, I guess like I'm I've got a, a slightly sort of gainy tone that I'm using to kind of cover it up slightly, um, but it does definitely crop up for me. Um, and I guess um, it's, I don't know, it's its sort of not, not exactly what you were kind of going with, um, but I kind of find, like, you were talking about, like, necks and things like that, I kind of find colouring and lighting and the mic stand to kind of all be an issue in there. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm at the moment putting up with um, with a bass that's a bit more buzzy because of the the fact that I can actually see what I'm doing um, and feel what I'm doing um, a bit better. But um, I don't know. Over the years, I've played a few different basses with a few different necks, but I've never never tried out what you're thinking of going with, so I'd be interested to see how you get on with it. You can let me know when you crack it all and figure it all out.
0: I'll tell you what, status bases from the UK are about $7,000 for a cheap one, for a good cheap one, mm. you know what I mean? One that will last you a lifetime sort of things. So I just don't know whether I want to make the investment, to be honest with you. I think I'll stick it out and deal with it. My D-string in particular... I have all sorts of problems with that, always have. Sometimes it just goes out of tune. On the four front-line basses I've got, they're all music men. got two five-strings, two four-strings, two, two of them are stoolings, two of them are stingrays, all got exactly the same problem. And I think it's because of the way that I play and I attack it. I Actually, I'm a mm, bit of yeah. a – when I say I'm a funk, I'm a rock guy, okay, but I do use a lot of slaps, slap, slap yeah. and thumb bass, like Larry Graham, that sort of yeah. stuff, and it just does something to the D-string. I don't know what it is. Anyway.
1: Yeah. No, I think um – um. Yeah, I, honestly, I'd be interested to see how how you figure it out because it's something that I've never really come up with a solution
0: a solution for. So uh, just bass thing too. My guitars, my guitars, I
1: never
2: have a problem with. To be yeah, honest with you, yeah. I was going to say yeah. it's it's not really a guitar problem here, but yeah. yeah, I've heard of that problem with bass players. Yeah, especially with the I guess like the humidity here is like really it's random. Like mm-hmm. especially at the moment, like you know, it goes from a really cold, dry day to a really humid day. Mm. The next, it's like. A, Instruments just don't know what's going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, um, I got, like, a bass not that long ago, and we actually, it, like, it got shipped up from somewhere a bit further south or something, and it had, like, all this, like, paperwork with it that it had all been, like, set up properly, and there was all this stuff, and, like, then the, uh, the courier truck was sat on the side of the road for a whole day in the sun because it broke down. Mm-hmm. When it got there, yeah. it was, like, the most buzzy bass you've oh, ever yeah. heard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's going okay now. It's it's been in had a had a bit of work done on it, so it's it's going all right now. Um, you actually play you play bass in a couple of bands. Have you got any got any hot tips for preventing fret buzz?
2: Oh, I, I don't play enough bass to really. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of stand there and look the part rather than play the part. <laughs> <If> you, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you've got no tips. No, no tips. Sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: oh, well. So something that I'm interested in as well is you play and sing very well, you know. So, well, certainly on evidence of the EP. And I've only seen a few, I think I've seen one YouTube video of you guys performing live, I yeah, think. There's
1: probably not, yeah, there's probably not an awful lot yeah. around. Um, but, yeah, I do, do my best. I try. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so I've got to tell you, like, I do a bit of singing myself, but I do struggle to sing and play. You know, I can do them separately fine, mm. combining them what are your tips to somebody like myself who struggles with it? And indeed, anybody starting out who just wants to sort of get going. And there is a perception that playing bass is easy, of course, until someone tries to do it. And then, you know, they start fret buzzing and all the rest. So all this stuff that we're talking about, there's a lot of complications with bass that, with all due respect, guitarists don't have to deal with, I find, you know?
1: Yeah. um, I think for me, I always, like, and I don't know if it would help other people, but I always treat them completely differently in the writing stage. So, like... um, the writing of the bass line and things like that, um, like actually, oftentimes it's, it's Dan that will sort of come up with the, the initial baseline idea, mm-hmm. um, but I kind of don't get too involved in any of that until I've kind of written vocal melodies and things like that yeah. to go yeah. with it. Um, I think it was like it was at like a Getty Lee thing years ago where he was talking about how he um, writes the bass lines and the cool. vocals yeah. for Rush. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he was sort of saying that if he um, if he focused too much on the bass line when he was writing the the vocal melodies and phrasing and stuff, um, he sort of wouldn't be able to do it. Like, So he, he just writes over the music as though he forgot whatever the bass was and then works out how to coordinate the two of them. And I think, um, I think that's kind of what I've always tried to do from the start. So um, the bass line will kind of be sitting there um, and once the song's sounding how we're all kind of happy with um, – yeah, I'll just completely forget all of that side of it, um, and then go away and write the vocal melodies and the phrasing and stuff. And definitely, um, definitely, there's been a whole bunch of points that that I've sort of come unstuck with, just things that are really hard for me to coordinate. Um, but I think it's just it's sort of like you can almost do anything if you do it enough. Mm. Um, so even the bits that I um, that I struggled with, I just sort of kept kept going with them um, and eventually kind of managed to to coordinate them. Um, but I think, yeah, if you were someone trying to, to start out, um, I think just, yeah, it is, I guess, like anything, unfortunately. Practice kind of yeah. makes perfect. It's it's putting that time in. Also, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, don't get put off by it because I think what tends to happen for me is that, you know, for like a week straight I can be playing it and not able to do it, not able to do it. And then all of a sudden, the first few times you do it right, it's like your brain knows how to do it. <laughs> and then you don't have to think about it anymore. It's like it's impossible. And then, like, kind of the first time you get it, your brain's like, oh, I know how to do it now. And it kind of gets infinitely easier from there. Um,
2: I guess live, um, having, like, um, like Kyle, our drummer, is just really good. Yeah. He plays to a click and stuff live. So having that really solid yeah. backbeat the whole time, he doesn't stuff up, he's a machine. So, like, having that as a bass you know, bass players gotta help as well, like especially live.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm by no means a really tight bass player and it, it is Kyle that sort of keeps me in line and, and keeps me playing to something and that's the thing, like um, I think live, it sort of crosses to and fro between which one you're actually focusing on at the time. I can't actually focus on them both at the same time. So sometimes it'll be the bass that I'm thinking about and sometimes it'll be the vocal, but it's having him be so solid in the background um, that sort of means that the bass, when that's kind of on autopilot, just kind of sits there. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, definitely, I mean, I think everyone everyone makes – stuff-ups, and I, I do. Unfortunately, Dan and Kyle don't often actually stuff up that much, which always puts the pressure on me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I find the the hardest thing, like as I was sort of saying before, the hardest thing for me about playing and singing is actually being able to see what I'm doing. Um, yeah. um, a lot of like the bass lines that I've got are kind of like or have a lot of parts that are sort of 12th fret and higher. And oh, wow, okay. Yeah, and so being able to see those bits when I've got a mic stand there, it's kind of I've eventually figured out now the angle I need to have it on to kind of be able to see what I'm doing yeah. and see what frets I'm heading to. Um but I'm pretty sure there were definitely a few a few wrong notes in the early early days of, of me and live, <laughs> but we won't talk yeah, about we them. Talk
0: about <laughs> yeah, something I figured out is that I play and sing much better when I do a Lemmy. Actually, I'll just give you a bit of a story about that, actually, because I do tarot card readings as well. It's something else that I like really? to do. Not a psychic, but I'm a bit intuitive, yeah. so I'd like to do that. And one of the few times I've done a tarot card reading for myself, I was getting... Shit, excuse my language. <laughs> um, and, and I thought, there's got to be a way around this because I was doing the thing where I know exactly what you're saying you know, you're sort of singing, looking down, singing, looking down, and it wasn't working. Mm. So I thought, what else can I do here? And I bought up the card. When I asked the question, will I be able to do this or what do I need to do? It brought up a picture of the, uh, well, the card that came up was the Page of Wands. Now, the Page of Wands has somebody standing there holding a staff like that. This guy sort of just slightly got his gaze a little bit above or girl. I'm not sure whether it's a guy or a girl on the page. Page is typically a girl, sorry, so I should say it's a girl. Standing there, holding the staff that way and looking slightly up, and I knew exactly what I needed to do from there. And magically, it's not perfect. I'm nowhere near you, but yeah. it's it's actually something that's working out for me. So I totally – Norwood Fisher from Fishbone. He does it as well, and Lemmy, of course, is the most infamous, famous one—not infamous, but famous one for doing it. God rest his soul and rest in peace, the D. Lem.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I've not actually, um, not actually thought of that. But I think what's that whole like,
0: Lemmy is God thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so definitely can't argue with that. Yeah. Um, so it's like a looking, no, looking
0: up. I oh, sort of just yeah. playing and and just probably about there, Yeah, you know I mean? It, it just, I'm, I'm not focusing on what I'm playing. Mm. I think it's so, something you kind of yeah. alluded to a bit. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah.
1: i got to try it. I've got to try that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> got to try drinking that much. <laughs> <laughs> just on that, how, how many bevvies do you guys like to have before you go on stage? I'm a bit of a
1: wuss, actually, and I need ultimate concentration so as not to to embarrass these guys. So, it's pretty limited beforehand. Um like one or one or two at max beforehand. I'm a bit of a wuss, bit of a lightweight, but um after the show's done, you can chill
2: out. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um I'm kind of in the same boat. Den's always driving. Yeah, I'm the designated driver oh. to all the gigs, so like um it's basically one or two for the for the night and all the riders always like um full strength. Exactly. <laughs> and that's dangerous territory. So, you know, um not a massive drinker, so just try and get the adrenaline from the, the gig mm. as much as possible.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think um we're not as rock star as we, we
2: should probably claim yeah, that we are.
1: We probably right. should have just said, you know, yeah. yeah Casey, hook it hook it to our yeah. veins or something. Casey. <laughs> but yeah, no, we're um Yeah. We're a bit we're a bit wussy.
0: Right, guys, we are up to my famous 10 questions. When I say famous, I think I've done it two or three times before in about the 250 interviews that I've done so far, so we're trying to make it a famous thing. Yeah,
2: all right.
0: So you, your answers can be as not safe for work as you so choose um, and, uh, look, feel free to be as honest or as facetious as you would like to be as well. Okay. So my first question here is this. Who is your favourite band or artist?
1: Mine would be Radiohead but it would be a pretty close call between Radiohead, Oasis and Arctic Monkeys.
2: Uh, that's a hard one for me um, because it, it changes so often. But um, I guess a band that I've always liked and I like all their albums is, is Tool. So I'll mm. just have to go back to
0: Tool. Good on you. No likewise. Yeah.
2: Uh, And I'm pretty sure Kyle would say Ryan Adams if yeah, he
1: were Ryan here.
0: <laughs> um, Favourite album? Oh. I was so
1: confident with the favourite artists. The favourite album is a killer. Um, I don't know. I actually have kind of, you know, like that that thing where you sort of torture yourself and you do that Desert Island thing and what three CDs would you take? I've kind of put that question to myself a bit, never really got there with an answer. I'd probably go, um, sticking with kind of my favourite three bands, I'd probably kind of go In Rainbows or The Bends, some sort of weird...
0: Good choice. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's
1: really hard to go between them two. Yeah. Um, and then um, The Master Plan, which is a bit of a weird one because I'm not sure kind of how that works. Is it a B-side B-side album? album or not, I don't know. But that, that one from Oasis would be an absolute killer. And then I think I'd go Favourite Worst Nightmare for okay. Arctic Monkeys. Yeah. So I've kind of named three. I don't know if I was allowed three, but I've taken three. <laughs>
0: Answer
2: in any way you so choose uh yeah that that one's a hard one I guess like I would pick something like uh lateralis as like a heavier album to, to take yeah, good
0: album.
2: but um apart from that like I, I like um am by the Arctic monkeys I think that's just a great album and just no matter what mood I'm in I could be in a party mood I could put that on I could be you know chilling out and I could put that on and it's kind of like the same thing like it I just feel like it fits all moods
1: I agree. I don't know how the production on that album made it simultaneously somehow seem like appropriate for being in a desert or like in the pouring rain of like some sort of English yeah. winter time. Yeah. I don't know how they managed to make it seem so perfect for both, but yeah. All right. Good good choices yeah. team. Good
0: choices. <laughs> so what about the favorite live gig that you've attended?
1: God, I'm going to seem so boring here because I'm going to go Radiohead again. But um, yeah, we we got to see him three times when um, when they were last in Australia, and that's the only times I've ever seen them because I didn't actually know about their brilliance and when they were in Australia the time before that, which was like 13 years or so before that. But um, we got front row at one of their Sydney shows. yeah, I don't know, that was, I, I remember at the time thinking I've pretty much used up, like, a lifetime's worth of good luck by getting, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. front row at my favourite band. Um, but oddly enough, it's some of the really smaller ones that are the most memorable. Um, not the really huge bands in the really huge stadiums and stuff, like um, a band that I really, really like out of Melbourne called The Sinking Teeth. Um, we catch them at every opportunity we get and just have the best time seeing them live. Um so that that's definitely a favourite, and um, I think it was this year we I saw um, Catfish and the Bottlemen down in Sydney, I think, um, which didn't like it was kind of I think the unexpected ones also really grab you, and I sort of went there and thought yeah it'll be alright kind of thing, um, but they were they were surprisingly really good live, um, and once again that one sort of really grabbed me as well, but I'd still yeah still put Radiohead up there and tell the Oasis reunion. That, that may knock it off.
2: Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put Radiohead up there. But one that took me by surprise, and I only bought it – I only went there off a whim, but uh, I saw Porcupine Tree at the Tivoli, and that just took me by surprise. Like, I didn't really like the band – And I can't say I listen to them heavily now, but that actual gig, they got everything perfect. Like, all the tones were perfect. The lighting was perfect for the gig. Their song choice, everything just flowed. Like, you wouldn't know it was a two-hour gig. Whereas some bands that play for two hours, you can feel it's... Metallica looking you. Yeah. (laughs) Just just some... It's just, I, I saw incubus once and it felt like their one and a half hours just went for four hours. You know what I mean? Like they just didn't feel like they wanted to be there. And, but like the porcupine tree one, they just had, had that nailed. And, but yeah, I do like a lot of the local ones, you know, they stick in my mind, you know, that just take you by surprise. You pay you $10, you end up at a gig. And yeah, like as I said, that these New South Wales at the Nambour basement, like that that will go down as a legendary gig because there was only like 15 people there, but there was this like blaring strobe and it, I don't know. It's just a memorable gig. Not every gig should be like, you know, at the Tivoli or the entertainment center to stick in my mind.
1: Yeah. I remember that because I was at that porcupine tree one as well. Um, and I do remember that. Like, do you remember like they had like a guy came out and vacuumed the floor before porcupine tree <laughs> yeah. came on? It was like I don't know because I don't maybe they're barefoot or something on stage, but I remember a Guy coming out and vacuuming the stage floor before they came on, <laughs> and I only I literally knew like two songs before that I'm, before I, that show, and yeah, it was just, just it was so so good. Yeah,
2: I just feel like the Stephen Wilson. I think that's mm. yeah. I think he's just got it right. Like mm. I think he just has a good artistic vision for it like I'd like to see a band like Tame Impala because I think he's got sort of the same thing going like off YouTube things he's really got his show down and you know I I just like you know things like that live shows are the best yeah
0: (laughs) so on that note if you could attend any gig from any time in history so I'm thinking Dio Fronted Black Sabbath, Janis Joplin Led Zeppelin of course Hendrix, Motorhead who would you go and see?
2: I'm
1: gonna have to think for a second, so I'm gonna pass it to them first. <laughs> oh,
2: I'll pass it to me first. I don't know. I think um some of those legendary concerts. I'd to be honest, if it could be anything, I can't like name a specific date. But the Beatles when they were in Germany before they got big, yeah, like you know when you see kind of footage and things were distorting. They're a pub band, you know what I mean? I would have liked to seen the Beatles. Well, uh, at their most raw, that would have been great. That's a good choice.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is a good choice. Yeah. Um, I still haven't really gotten there with an answer, but um, to be ultra boring once again and super super loyal, um, I would have loved to have been. I've got like the the Radiohead Live the Astoria DVD, and I would have loved to have been there for that one. Cool. Um, like having seen them sort of where they're at now was was incredible, but to have seen them back then yeah. um like right before the bends sort of came out um yeah I, I think think that yeah that that would probably be my pick yeah
0: yeah mine's pretty boring actually it's um when I say boring it's pretty ob- obvious if you know me it's uh Ozzy Osbourne with Jakey Lee as his guitarist mm-hmm. back in about 86 particularly when the decent version of Metallica back in 1986 from the Master of Puppets tour yes. was, was opening <laughs> for them that'd be my choice yeah. but anyway I digress um if you could resurrect a fallen icon, who would it be and why? And I've got a cracker, but I'll wait until you guys give your answer before I give mine. I reckon one of you two is going to give me the answer that I have as well.
1: Uh. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a bit of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm actually going to go for kind of a recent one. Um, Dave Bowie should still be alive, man. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I once. Think, oh, really? Was that where you were know, going to go? Oh, well, then I feel a, feel a bit of relief. I am going to pick the same one. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I don't know if it's just because it's super f- sort of fresh in our minds still, but um, I was like, I kind of went through a phase where I listened to quite a bit of David Bowie, um, but then I'd kind of moved past that before he, he died. And, and I think that sometimes, like, there's always that thing, like, once people die, people go back and sort of dig through their catalogue and whatever. Um, but, yeah, it definitely hits you the quality across so many different kinds of sounds and across such time and, God, the looks, how many yeah. different looks. It was just, um I guess he was a true true musical genius and, yeah, I'd like to bring him back. That would be nice.
2: Yeah, I was going to pick David Bowie as well, but I'll think of another one. But <laughs> uh I was just going to say, like, as an artist or any artist, if you can sort of, like, you know aspire to David Bowie's career like the fact that he changed hats so many times and he was successful in every one of those you know like changes like pun um <laughs> like oh, I uh, uh, yeah I so <laughs> yeah. uh, no um yeah just to to have that sort of like i don't know art- artistry to it all like i just really respect that but um i guess like I, I always, like, felt kind of shocked when Dimebag got shot on stage. And it's not the fact that, you know, he it'd be great if he was still around. It's just, like, I feel like that rocked my world a lot because I've always felt like a stage was a safe haven for an artist. And when that happened, like, it changed, like, security and all that at gigs. And, like, I don't know, I, I feel like after that, like you know, everything kind of changed for me, and like it wasn't as safe as it was. So I guess like in a way, I wish Dimebag that never happened to him either. Yeah. So yeah, but I would have went with David Bowie, but
0: Dimebag as well. <laughs> the other one that I was going to pick was Freddie Mercury. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, it's a kind of magic era, so yeah. mid '80s or thereabouts. So uh, I love that mid '80s period. A lot of people. Sort of don't like that period of their, They prefer their '70s stuff, but I got into Queen back then. They're one of the first bands that I ever got into. Mm. Him and them and Ozzy Osbourne. Mm. Um, and so you, do, they're always the bands you first get into as a kid and make your, your broader connection to music and rock and roll specifically. They're the ones that I think you always have close to your heart, even if you don't listen to them anymore. I don't yeah. listen to Queen anymore because I've moved on. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah. Be like probably like we i Pantera. You know yeah, what I mean? It's I the same sort of deal. To, yeah,
2: I don't listen to yeah. Pantera anymore. But yeah,
0: it sticks. It sticks yeah, around. Yeah, it does. Definitely.
2: You know every riff. <laughs> so,
0: so I'm going to put you both on the spot here. Worst gig you've ever attended. Oh.
1: Well, that just feels mean.
0: Um, <laughs> get the dirt. Here we, here we go. Um, It's not all roses on this program. I think,
1: um, to be honest, it does sound like a, a not-so-nice thing to say, but um, you kind of already mentioned the Incubus one. We were both at that one as well. Um... And it it was a bit of a weird and disjointed gig. I think because I was quite into them at the time, and they kind of just really looked like they didn't want to be there. Yeah. And it's a bit disheartening when you've kind of wanted to – because I'd I'd wanted to see them for a lot of years leading up to it. Sort of, I was like a teenager and was was pretty into them, and um, yeah, finally got the chance, and they just really didn't seem into it, and they'd lost Dirk Lance um and got yeah, got, right. got their new guy ben someone ben <laughs> ben someone um memorable clearly yeah. um but yeah no i just it just didn't have a very good feel to it and and i think the venue didn't help i think we were sort of stuck um, up in one of the really far back sort of seating bits with sort of just no atmosphere. The, the arena?
0: Where was this at? No,
1: it was bigger than that. It was, uh, was it no. Entertainment Centre? Must have been that. Um, I remember it was, it was I was seated big. and it was a pretty long way. White- no, I don't know, maybe it was. I don't know, we caught the train there, so I'm thinking Entertainment Centre. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, part of it was probably the fact that we were stuck right up the back. Um, mm. But yeah, it just didn't, didn't feel right. Um, so I'm probably going to go with that one and...
2: Sorry, Incubus. Uh, I don't know. Just trying to think. I'm just going through the gig catalog in my mind. <laughs>
1: Honestly, um, most most ones we've been to have been pretty good.
2: I was gonna say like some of those sound waves were pretty bad. <laughs> oh,
1: the, what, was that um, a
2: yeah.
1: bullet at Soundwave where there was only one <laughs> kick going through? Oh uh, yeah, EPA? yeah. That weird.
2: <laughs> that, that's not the worst gig I've been to though. But yeah, some of those sound waves like just um. It's not even the band that I'm seeing. It's just like how the crowd reacts to it. You know, it's just like, mm. I've forgotten the band, but um, it was like a localish band, but they're kind of an indie band, like at the Sands, and people were just like moshing way too much, and I got a shoe to the face. Yeah, and that's a bad gig. Yeah, that's a bad gig. Like, I've forgotten the band because I wasn't really watching them, but you know, I paid my $10 and it's like, I want to support the scene. And it would have been like the equivalent of. Block party early album heavy, uh-huh. then I got a shoe to the face, yeah. and, and like
0: foot to the head, he
2: yeah. yeah, like <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I got k- yeah, got kicked in the head, and a lot of those ones, yeah, the Sands Tavern got a bit loose, like you know, yeah, yeah, just 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 over the road, like I was at one where like the singer of one band got hit with a cup of pee, mm. and that's bad. That. That's a bad gig. You know what I mean? Like so, they're the they're probably the So it's more the venue, you know, RIP Sands Tavern. I had some good nights there. But yeah, I've had some of the worst gigs I've had at the Sands Tavern.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna blame blame crowds for inappropriate moshing. Um yeah. there's definitely a time and place
2: for it. Yeah. But like non-heavy kind of yeah. chill bands
1: are probably not the yeah. place you're expecting to to cop
2: that. Um well considering that I have seen like, you know, what was that? Signal the firing squad. And I didn't get a... <laughs> no a, shoes to in, head. I didn't get yeah, a shoe to the head. So, you okay. know what I mean?
1: <laughs> but yeah, definitely some good ones over at the old sand, sand. stabbing. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh... <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was talking to uh, a local uh, industry identity, music industry identity, David Dean. Do you know David yep. at all? And uh, he used to book death metal bands there. Yeah. And uh, he had a few stories to share with me about that there. And I remember all the punk bands. Remember Mill and Colin and, yep. and um, Lagwag and the bands yeah, are yeah. Fat Records? Yep. Fat mics, to, yeah. Fat yeah. mics. Yeah.
2: They used to play over there all the time, yeah. yeah. What was that what, big one? It's not something that, like Pennywise. They had that song, Kaelin.
0: Unwritten Law. Unwritten, Unwritten law. law played yeah. there, yeah. I, was, I, was I, was a, I remember that. that. Ninety six, they were a good band back then. Actually, Unwritten yeah. Law. But I'll tell you the the um, the most disappointing experience that I've ever had from a performance perspective was nineteen ninety six when I saw the Smashing Pumpkins. Now I wasn't even really a fan, to be honest with you. But you know the band were a very big band at you the time, arguably massive. one of the biggest bands in yeah. the world at the yeah. time. You know, yeah. along with Soundgarden, maybe, and maybe when Metallica released those awful Load albums and the like, they even you know Smashing Pumpkins stocks rise. But they played about. I don't want to sort of put a number on it, but I would guess it wouldn't have been more than eight songs. And then he jammed for an hour.
2: Filler.
0: It was, it was, terro- it was, it was terrible. I don't know what he, what he was talking about, but this was the period where his uh, keyboard player overdosed on heroin and he kicked out that excellent drummer, mm-hmm. Jimmy Chamberlain. Oh, yeah. And they had another guy doing it from the Frogs. I can't remember his name now, but um, it just wasn't there. The presence yeah. it wasn't there. And the other gig that I went to that I really wasn't that impressed with, and it was mainly, to be honest with you, due to the crowd, was Corn. Oh, right. Dear God, the amount of vicious bogan's are getting to corn. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, I wasn't even again. I wasn't really a fan of the band. I thought this is a, a bit like the Slipknot thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm not really that big a fan, but I'll just go just to be a part of what's going on. This is in like late '90s. Okay, mm, by yeah. the way, so I wouldn't bother now. But, but my God, and I'd heard all this hype about the band and the band themselves talking up their live performance. And I think I'd seen Marilyn Manson about a month or two before. Now, that set the bar very high. I yeah. don't like the music again, but the performance is, yeah, is right yeah. there. The corn thing was just guys sort of staring off into the distance and playing power chords, really down-tuned, low power <laughs> chords, very loudly, like ACDC loudly, you know? So anyway, that's, that's my two cents. I just they, didn't want worry... to...
1: sound fun. Yeah.
0: Well, I didn't want <laughs> <mind> to <laughs> dump you guys and ask you guys for your worst concert experience if I wasn't going to contribute to the discussion. So on that very merry note... I would like to know what is the most disappointing album that you've purchased? And I can certainly tell you mine. I'll, I'll go again first on this one here if that's okay. Mine has been lowed by Metallica in 1996. That was terrible. Still is. <laughs> <laughs> they just can't claw themselves back. <laughs>
2: um,
1: most disappointing album that I purchased? Have you got one in mind? No, not yet. Um... Honestly, I am so stuck, <laughs> and it's not even because I'm trying to be nice. It's just I'm trying to think of. I guess that it would have to be something that I would have bought in, you know, a few years back. Because now there's kind of almost like that whole try before you buy vibe with Spotify and YouTube yeah. and everything like that. You kind of know what totally you're getting. Agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, just don't
0: touch it when you can stream it first. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I think you know we always kind of quite like the idea of of. Trying to sort of support any bands we like, so um, you know we still do do go and buy things, but I think it's you've kind of already got a bit of a, an idea of what you're getting, yeah, ahead of time. Um, I think what I'll say as my answer um, is like, <laughs> back when I was still in school. Um, they, they used to be at, like, this, this shopping centre that I used to go to, like a bargain bin of CDs that didn't have cases. Yeah. Um, and I remember, like, looking at the CD and it had, like, names of writers on it and it was um, – it had, like, Neil Finn and everything on it. And I was, like, oh, I'm a you know, huge Neil Finn fan. So I bought the CD and when I got it home, it, like – I don't know quite what it was, but it did have, like, private universe on it. And then the rest of the stuff, I was like, I had no idea what it was. And yeah. it was not Neil Finn. <laughs> so disappointing $5 purchase there. But I guess yeah. it wasn't exactly false advertising because I had, didn't quite know what I was getting ahead of time, but didn't get what I thought I was.
2: Uh, for me, it's a full uh, high school story. But I was really, when I first started guitar into Van Halen. Mm-hmm. and oh, you going to say Gary Sharon? Yeah, Van Halen 3. Van Halen 3. What a stinker that was. Yeah. Like, and, like, I've tried, it's like, maybe there's something in it now. No, nah, it's terrible. I don't know. I, I think even Eddie. Is that even, the one
1: where he, Eddie tried his hand at vocals?
2: It's just a terrible album. Production's terrible. I don't... Uh, no, nah, just, like, just com- complete pile of it. <laughs> can't can't dig that album at all. And I bought that album, and it's terrible. And it's like, oh, I want, should have sent, like, Eddie... Like an email, just like, I want my 30 bucks back, mate. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, what are you trying? <laughs> but it, the funny thing is, I I don't think Gary Sharon was that bad, but I, I never got into extreme, but like, you know. Nah, it's all bad. It was just, yeah, it, it was all... Don't,
1: don't try and make it better.
2: Nah, yeah, if I, I had to say, that's probably the worst album that I've heard.
0: <laughs> full stop yeah. Yeah. I remember that, that album coming out because it, um, it was a lot of anticipation around its release actually because I'm, I still am a massive extreme fan love Nuno Betancourt and his mm, guitar yeah. playing I even like the fact that he played with Rihanna you know, he was Rihanna's yeah. guitarist for a while
2: yeah, that was great
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. you can see these videos of him in the background right? know, one of the world's legitimate greatest shredders mm. you know, he's up there with Paul Gilbert, Marty Friedman these sort of guys, if not better to be honest with you Um yeah, supporting Rihanna, playing these yeah, four-chord songs, you know yeah. what I mean, with about two other guitarists standing next to him. Not, I, I still don't understand why she needs that many guitarists with her on stage. There's a, <laughs> a very good video of him playing with her on the Ellen show. Oh, okay. The Please Don't oh. Stop the Music song. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I digress. Um, my next question is back on the more familiar and nicer territory. Name a song that you think sums you up.
1: Uh... I'm going to say, oddly enough, I'm going to, like, I don't think it necessarily sums me up, but it's something I'd like to kind of think did. Um, Stay Young by Oasis. I remember, mm-hmm. I think I think people have these, like, quarter-life crisis things. I'm, I'm an advocate for it. I think they happen. Um, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but, yeah, no, a few years ago I was sort of um, n- not playing in any bands and sort of out of the loop from a music sense and kind of just trying to figure out, I guess, like a lot of people do, you know where I was heading, um, and just sort of by coincidence, like I, I started listening to to that song, and it was kind of just that that general vibe of kind of live your life, do what you want to do, yeah. you know, to everything else and all the rules. Very so, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly, yeah, very. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very. Um, and I definitely think doesn't doesn't hurt to have a bit of that in there. So I strive to have that kind of be be a song that sums me up. Um, but yeah, if, it, if there's a song about being awkward and Weird And in the corner, that one's probably for me too.
2: you should have picked creep because <laughs> <laughs> go so. that is that song, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure like I always felt like a song that summed me up is a song like um paranoid Android. I always feel like my mind works in that sort of like it's one thing, then it's another thing and
1: so, like a, a musical dissection rather than Ye- lyrical content.
2: Yeah, there's probably lyrics in there that fit. I would just mean, like, it just moves into weird things, and you know, oh no, oh, I'll probably go if it's about lyrics. I'm um, sleepless by King Crimson because <laughs> I don't You're sleep. sleep. <laughs> the Tony Levin, uh, Adrian Ballou years. Adrian Ballou. <laughs>
0: Frick.
2: Yeah, you yeah, right. yeah, yeah, Frick so. Band. So, like, if I want to go off, like, a song title, it'd be Sleepless, but if I want to go with, like, musical, kind of, like, how my brain works, it'd be Paranoid Android.
1: You do look a little tired.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I haven't got an answer, to be honest with you. I actually had not prepared one, so I can't even think of one right now. I don't know, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head what it might be. I've got nothing. I'm drawing a complete blank. I wouldn't wouldn't know. I'm I'm trying to think of, like, you know, my favourite band's Weezer, you know, that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, their song lyrics are fairly superficial, to be honest with you. you know, so, the Pinkerton's got some, yeah, Pinkerton's got some great stuff on it, but it's all very deep and self-reflective. Of um, what well, you know, I just said it's, it's not deep lyrics, but then I say you know, Pinkerton is a deep album. But it's yeah. the only one of theirs that I think you really deep dives. Anyway, so I don't know. I'll, I'll try and think of one before the end of the interview. Okay. Yeah. Next question. So we're going to do another ninety degree turn here because I just like to do that. Do UFOs exist, and have you had an experience or an interaction with the paranormal?
1: I would like to think they don't because it does scare me. Um, but I think that it's a bit unrealistic to think that in the big, wide universe out there um, that we're not alone. It used to terrify me when I was a kid. I used to look at, like, I could see, like, the night sky from, from where I used to sleep at night. And um, I used to look at all the stars and the little flashy bits and think that they were all UFOs coming to get me. So, yeah, it's still still not a good subject. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I think, I think if I was going to have to pick pick an answer i would say that yeah that ufos probably do exist but i've not had any direct experiences along those lines and i'm probably grateful for that fact <laughs> uh
2: i don't know about ufos but i definitely believe in the paranormal uh, i grew up in a like it would have it's a place called childers it's about three hours north Lovely. of here Yep, that's the one i grew up there and i lived in this hundred year old house just, like, on 20 acres, but, um like, when I was growing up, like, there was noises and bumps in the night. We didn't think much of it, and, yeah, when I was... And just strange stuff would happen, like, you know, the CD player would be unplugged from the wall, then all of a sudden no one would be in there. I'd be the only one in the house, and the CD player would start playing, and you know there'd be like snakes in weird spots and like then the door would close and it wouldn't be like a lock it'd be a deadbolt so mm. so that would close and just lock my brother in a room but the lock was on his side so he could get out he could get out but like he didn't lock it and mm. just weird weird stuff like that so and um when i left home and my dad was like yeah i saw a little girl ghost down the hallway okay. Shut up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i do i do believe in it because it's kind of like happened to me but ufos not so much like but i do believe in them i yeah <laughs> what do you think
0: Yeah, I definitely believe in it. I'm not sure. I definitely believe in transdimensional beings, a.k.a. UFOs. There's no question about that. Never seen anything. Um, I've had a couple of experiences with the paranormal. Nice experiences, though, I've got to say. And I'll share one. I shared one with a gent from um, Bill Tobone from the Australian Paranormal Society. But in 1995, a family friend passed away. She was in in her 80s, so she'd led a good life. You know, she was somebody who helped out my father when he was younger. But we literally walked past her when we were walking to her wake. She walked past us. Yeah, and it was her. Like, unquestionably, it was her. But randomly, we got five members of our family. Only my brother and I remember it. My mother and father, my father's long gone. Our sister and my mother can't remember it actually happening. So it's like it was just something that we were meant to see. Yeah. Well. You know, um, I think that, you know, there's, there's been a couple of other things. Not as That's probably the most significant interaction that I've ever had. Apart from that, it's just when I do the tarot reading, sometimes I can feel things, you know, just being... I'm not a psychic, and I will never claim to be a psychic, but you get these weird images. Well, not weird, they're just... It's like a... um, You start having a conversation and it's like um, a picture will appear and you can start talking about it and the person can confirm what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah. And it's about their life. You know, this is – and, and as I say, I'm, I'm – yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's just – I think, you know, there's, there's a lot that is out there that we simply aren't meant to understand. I think it's a bit like the analogy where you can't teach an ant how to speak or a dog how to speak English, you know yeah. what I mean, or any language for that matter. We're not really meant to understand what is beyond and religion is, with all due respect, a very poor attempt to try to make yeah. sense of yeah. all of that. Really, what we're meant to do is what all three of us are doing, is be creative. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I think that's actually it. I think that's the answer. I don't actually think life's actually meant to be that complicated, but I think humanity and mankind, I think we've really gone out of our way to make things yeah. pretty shitty, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> make it as you nice know? as possible. <laughs> yeah. So I actually combined questions 9 and 10 together, actually, there because I was meant to ask, do you believe in UFOs? And then the next question was going to be, do you believe in the paranormal? So I combine them, yeah. so we're yeah. done. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, so we're done on that. Yeah. But that actually does bring us to the end of the interview, so I'll hand it over to you for any final words.
1: Um, I suppose just thank you very much for having us. Um, it's been nice to sit down and have a, have a yeah. bit of a chat. Um,
2: I guess, like, um, if you yeah, check out Fragile Animals on Spotify and Unearthed and just wherever, you, you know, all the good streaming platforms or, you know... You can buy it off Bandcamp if you really would like it. Come to a show. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, We do have a couple of shows between now and the end of the year, so shameless plug time. (laughs) So uh, we actually had one. um, We were meant to be supporting the clouds at, local venue, Soul yeah. Bar, um, on the 25th, but um, they've had to cancel the As rest of the their... Juanita
0: Phillips band. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Is that right? They're back together, are they? Yeah,
1: yeah but they've just had to cancel oh, the yeah. rest of their tour <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, we... due to unforeseen circumstances. So um, hopefully that'll still be up and yeah, running we, again oh, yeah, sometime next, soon because we're all looking forward to that one. Um, but then we've got... Um...
2: Uh, I think there's one on the 7th of December back at the Soul Bar held by um, a local legend, Reese Fox. Yeah. Um, doing a point party. It's kind of like a local showcase sort of thing. A lot of bands, just a gold coin, uh, entry. Mm-hmm. Then 9th of December, um, we're heading back down to Brisbane, uh, playing at the bearded lady, supporting an amazing band from, I believe Bendigo called Fountain oh,
1: Okay. Yeah. I wasn't.
2: Um, <laughs> and they've got another support called minor Premiers, which, um, I think half the members are our neighbor and that, they- <laughs> They were a good band, and um, on the 21st, we're playing at the Hey ya Bar with an amazing band called uh, Seaside, mm. and I've seen them a few times, and they just always blow us away. So,
1: Yeah, so that's where you can find us between now and the end of the year. Um, right. head, head to Facebook. You'll be able to see anything we've got coming up yeah. there. Yeah. But, yeah, thanks again so much for having
0: us. My pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. I really enjoyed having this interview with a local Sunshine Coast band. Support them. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my conversation with Victoria and Daniel from the Sunshine Coast-based band Fragile Animals. Thank you so much.